Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us today on Clean Capital's Experts Only Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Andrea Lukey, the President and Executive Director of the Solar Foundation. Andrew was actually the sole employee of the Solar Foundation when it really got restarted in 2010, and she's expanded that organization from a shoestring budget to a multi-million dollar program. And we're going to talk about their impact in the market and the, their work helping to draw attention to the growing job force in the solar industry and helping advocates tell that story to, to policymakers. But Andrea also worked for the city of Milwaukee in the Department of Energy's Solar America City program. It helped run their Milwaukee Shines program of policies to grow solar there. And had previously been to the Peace Corps. She has an incredible background and really is helping to drive a thought leader that the Solar Foundation is in bringing uh, important data to our industry so we can think through our hires and diversity. And we'll talk all about that today. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us at Experts Only Podcast. Well, thanks, John. Really a pleasure to be here. So you grew up in small town, Wisconsin, uh, ended up going to, you know, working for the city. Now you're in Washington, D.C., working for the Solar Foundation. Tell me a little bit about that ride. How did you go from small town, Wisconsin, into sort of the Department of Energy uh, at, in the city of Milwaukee? Yeah, so um, from country bumpkin to big city girl, is that what you're asking? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, yeah, I'm a lifelong environmentalist. I grew up outside in, in the country in southwest Wisconsin, and that upbringing, being out in nature all the time, I was a tomboy, I used to climb trees and collect tadpoles, and being outside so much really gave me a deep appreciation for nature. And I'm definitely someone who deeply cares about having clean water, clean air, clean food, and having a a, a small footprint. Um, but I'm also a world traveler and a lifelong humanist, and I really care about helping people to live better lives. And so, you know, renewable energy, particularly solar, really, really piqued my interest and in, in, in got me excited because of its immense potential. And I think, you know, you look at all the population increases that are happening and the increases in, in standard of living and the increased demands for energy. Um, and while all that is taking place, it was when I first learned, you know, I don't know how long it was ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago, that a single hour, in one hour, the amount of power from the sun that strikes the earth is more than the entire world consumes in a year. When, when I learned that little fun fact, it literally blew my mind. And, you know, I was listening to uh, presentations when I was in when I was in Morocco. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. Here, here, state in Morocco. that one more time. The amount of sun, the amount of energy hitting the striking the earth at any given time. Enough yeah, in a single hour, the amount of power hour. from the sun that strikes the earth. It's more than what we consume an entire year. And, you know, the sun just is boundless, it's limitless. And, um, you know, I learned that about 12 or 13 years ago when I was in Morocco, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, a small business development uh, volunteer. I was listening to presentations by this German group that they called themselves the Desert Tech, Desert Tech. And basically they were trying to turn the entire Saharan desert into a solar farm and export energy to Europe. 
And, you know, their plans had so much potential and it really captured my imagination and sparked my interest. And it was because of that, that I, uh, decided to, to, to go back to grad school. It was also that same time that I saw the documentary An Inconvenient Truth. And that shook me to the core as it did many, many people. And so I, I went back to school. I went to Milwaukee so that I could learn everything that I could about business and Morocco to Milwaukee. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were, there were a lot of stops in between. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of how I got into solar. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I was particularly interested in, in, in business, but how the nonprofit sector works, the social sector. And, and I really sure. want to focus my work on solving environmental crises such as climate change and so that really became my purpose and 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 um my direction and and so as i was deciding where to go to grad school i i I got really lucky and i got this fellowship to work with the city of milwaukee running their startup solar program it's called milwaukee shines and that's why i chose to get my master's at the university of wisconsin milwaukee because of Mm -hmm. this city city fellowship and so that was so you, like you were doing it at the same time you yeah really going to school and yeah working. full-time yeah. grad school full-time working at the city uh, managing wow. several multi-million dollar department of energy grants um it was a milwaukee was a solar america city um back in the day and and you know th- this was very exciting these were very exciting times um this was you know 2008 right when the financial markets crashed this was 2008, right when uh, the presidential election took place and Obama was elected, and then all of that ARA money came flowing through. Right. Um, so obviously, it was a good time for me to be back in school gearing up. Uh, but then also, that's where I got my crash course on solar and, and the market. I was working at the city, helping them to streamline permitting, to create solar friendly zoning ordinances we created one of the first pace programs in the country we put together an industry consortia we trained inspectors we did all this really cool work i mean it was a it was a lot of work though and like i said i was in grad school full-time and working full-time and but it was really rewarding because when i first started there the city only had about 30 kw of solar installed and you know fast forward to today there's about four megawatts installed and counting. And so it's, I think, really great to see the progress and and how it's now happening at scale in cities across the country, not just in places like Milwaukee. So that sort of, you know, as that began to grow, right, what sort of led you into your interest with, you know, I think you, if I'm correct here, you were the first uh, employee of the Solar Foundation? Yeah. Correct? Yes. Yes. So how did you go from, you know, obviously working on these issues at a policy level, driving grants to, and was that solar foundation work in Washington? Did you make the move from Milwaukee to Washington? I did. Yeah. So when my grad program was up and, uh, you know, my, my contract with the city was up because it was tied to my grad school experience. It was a fellowship. I just put a few few feelers out as as one often does. (laughs) And, I said, "Hey, I'm looking for a job," and uh, so I I I met some people. I, I flew to D.C. I interviewed with Tom Kimbus and Ron Rash and right. Baca and a number of other people, and and I was hired. Um, and I think, in many ways, it was because, uh, well, obviously, you know, I have the education qualifications 
the solar experience and and the attitude, but also in many many ways, I think it was because of my international development experience and my uh, ability to sort of uh, connect the dots and and help and understand and help people understand how solar as a technology can be integrated into all aspects of our lives. Um, so ten years ago, when you were having these conversations with Tom and uh, and and Roan, and they had this vision for the for the Solar Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about you know what you were all were thinking when you got it off the ground? And you know, for folks that aren't familiar, talk a little bit about you know what the Solar Foundation does now, and sort of what you guys are, what, what your mission is. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> that was back in 2010, and you know, I was the first employee. And uh, I had zero budget, zero staff, and so we were thinking survival. Um, but but you know there is a history. Well, there had to be a mission. <laughs> there is a history, and there is a mission and a purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, the Solar Foundation didn't wasn't born out of nothing. Um, it actually has been around for a long time. We were created in 1977 by SIA, huh. and. Our name actually used to be the Solar Energy Research and Education Foundation. And for many decades, we were chugging along, um, but the market was really tiny back then. And due to a lack of market activity in the 80s and 90s and even in the early 2000s, um, you know, we basically, our little nonprofit faded into the background. But then, of course, the investment tax credit was created by George Bush in 2005, and then it was renewed in 2008. And that's when a SEAL leadership decided in, in 2009 timeframe that it was time to bring the foundation back, but, but to make some changes to shorten the name to the Solar Foundation. It just rolls off the tongue a little bit better. <laughs> and then yeah, um, make, it, make it a separate independent entity. But to remain strategically aligned and, and, and remain partners moving into the future. And so all this very important legal and formational work in 2009, that was all, that was all done by Tom Kimbis, our, our dear friend. Then after all that formational work was, was done in 2010, that's when Tom and Roan and, and the board brought me on as the new head of the organization to, to not only launch it, but to bring it to life. And right. I mentioned it was just me. I had a couple interns. I had no budget. I had zero track record. Um, <laughs> nobody knew anything about the solar fund. Startup. Yeah, it's total startup. And then, you know, eventually over time, we we did establish a track record. We did amass some major contracts, and we we were able to ultimately staff up. But you know, obviously, it's been a team effort. Uh, I've got an incredible team, and but it, but. But it's been it's been a harrowing journey. So when I said survival, I really mean it. <laughs> mm-hmm. right, you know, right. run, running a nonprofit is extraordinarily difficult, and you know it's been twenty four seven for years and years. Um, we've had to overcome a lot, but now I'm very proud that we have a recognizable and impactful presence in the marketplace. Um, and I think in, in great part, it's because we as a team we don't take anything for granted. We take one day at a time. We treat every day as a battle, and you know my philosophy is to never ever give up, and I think that's one of my signature traits, and and probably why my board you know hired me in the first place, um, because you know good or bad, I'm one of those never give up, fight to the death, warrior type people 
that, you know, and of course, I think that there's no battle more worth fighting than to stop climate change. So I'm definitely in the right role. And um, I'm one of those people that's always going to be on the front lines. But, you know, admittedly, you know, brute strength will only get us so far. We really have to be smart and we have to be strategic and we have to be coordinated. Can you talk a little bit about the last 10 years as the, the, the market for solar has, you know, really begun to hit its stride and we're, we're hitting record quarters on a regular basis? The job force, which we'll talk more about a little bit later, is, is not just uh, growing, but it's matured and becoming efficient. You know, how has your mission changed at Solar Foundation? Well, we have a very broad mission. So we, you know, are, we're a national nonprofit. We're based in D.C. Um, we're a research and educa- education think tank. We're most known for our solar job census, but we're also known for our, our red tape cutting ninjutsu that we do across local governments everywhere. Um, and so that's that's sort of been our been our mission. But we did recently, not recently, but about two years ago, we expanded our technology focus to include solar compatible technologies such as storage, um, demand response, smart meters, and and EVs. And so while while we haven't really gone full on with all of that, we we recognize the some of these mega trends toward right. technology hybridization and. We, we understand how you can really increase the value of solar when you marry it or pair it with some of these other technologies like electric vehicles. And so, so our mission has changed. We are mostly focused on the national landscape because the U.S. needs so much help. <laughs> but uh, we do have global aspirations. Um, several of our programs, I think, are readily applicable to um, other countries around the world. And that really also feeds into my interests and background in the international development space. Interesting. So I want to talk more domestic stuff now than international, but you know, over the last, uh, since 2010, according to Solar Foundation, there's an amazing series of job reports. We'll talk about that here in a second. But, you know, from some of the data you guys have shown over the last, since 2010, the workforce has grown by over 150%. We've got nearly 150,000 solar jobs out there today. Can you talk about some of the trends you're seeing in the last few reports? And also while doing that, talk about the report itself. Like, how do you collect that data? And, you know, what do you do with that data? Yeah. So, you know, the solar jump census has been just so phenomenal. It's been such a powerful tool. We are coming up, we're gearing up to issue our 10th annual solar job census. So I'm trying to raise a half a million dollars right now to get our 10th annual solar job census out the door. We fought really hard in the early days to develop a methodology that was defensible, credible, that could stand the test of time, that could persuade even the most critical of voices. And in partnership with BW Research, we were able to develop one that has now been applied across other energy sectors. So we're really, really, really proud of the methodology that we co-created and developed um, back in 2010. But yeah, this the census is, um, you know, it's jobs are very closely correlated with solar capacity and, and installed capacity. And so our, it's not just a jobs report that we put out. It's really a market trends report. We, we talk about that correlation. We talk about the future. We talk about who has these jobs. We talk about the, the impacts on GDP that, that, and impacts on, right. on 
local the local tax base and the, sort of who are who is hiring and and what sectors within solar are really you know moving fastest and what segments of the market are really moving fastest and and who is really hiring the most so we, we talk about all those things so that the job is very rich right now uh you know and what we've found is that the industry has about 250 260 solar jobs today the industry has added almost 100,000 new jobs in the past five years, amazing. which is totally amazing. And we are expecting more growth. The industry predicts about 7% growth this year, which would bring the total up to about 260, 260,000 jobs. You know, that's the immediate short-term picture. That's where we are currently at. But, you know, in my view and many others, um, you know, if climate change remains unchecked and emissions keep in fact increasing you know we're going to see annual losses in some economic sectors reaching hundreds of billions of dollars by the end of the century and that's going to be disastrous to and very disruptive to critical infrastructure to property to labor productivity to communities it's going to it's going to be disastrous very expensive and of course you know what is the response what is the logical response to this it is to of course accelerate the use of solar and other clean energy technologies far far beyond what we've thus far achieved and so you know looking at all these different scenarios we're looking at you know the the middle ground scenario is that renewable energy has to make up between 70 and 85% of the world's electricity by 2050 and if you think about all the jobs that are associated with that it's it's astounding. Um, here in the U.S., solar only makes up about two percent of our overall electricity mix. If we have even just twenty percent solar by twenty thirty or twenty fifty, that represents hundreds and hundreds of new jobs, and these are more or less right. pretty high quality jobs. And yeah. you know, and so jobs, our jobs work is so powerful, and you know, it, it it's been a very effective and persuasive argument. The the, the Green New Deal, I think, really um, rightfully emphasizes the economic and jobs impact of climate action and, of course, the cost of inaction. Um, and so yeah. we're... I, mean, I think it's what's critical about it. If you, it, First of all, for folks that don't haven't seen it, you should go to the solarfoundation.org and you can access the report. And, you know, right now we face uh, a political debate, uh, especially in Washington, where you have, you know, an administration pushing for saving coal jobs, for instance, on a pretty regular basis. And what this report has done is it's empowered advocates to, to go in and actually drive, drive down and point to the growth of the solar market in a way, you know, 10 years ago, it was about, you know, let's do, let's do this for the environment. And now it's about a growing economic market that is, is significant and it's localized. And you can actually get down through this report into different states and pull out the fact sheets. And if you you know, if you haven't done it, check it out. It's something that, you know, we all in the industry really need to step up our game and in, in using data like this to continue to make the case for uh, the policies that we need to continue to grow the industry. And, and Andrew, thanks for the leadership of Solar Foundation to put this stuff out there for sure. Oh, yeah, you're welcome, John. And thanks for the plug. It's it's so true. You know, jobs that this jobs messaging is irresistible to right. almost to almost everyone, you know, on, on both sides of the aisle. And so it has been really effective. And I think one of the key features of our jobs census is that it is hyper granular. We've got all those fact sheets. We also have a map 
and you can drill down to the congressional district level. And so you can have numbers and then, go, you know, a nice conversation piece for talking yeah. with folks that represent you, you know, on the Hill. It's so impactful to have that, have that data when you meet with a member because they, they, in many cases, don't recognize, you know, what, what impact is happening in their district. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, um, you know, there, there's always the discussion about, you know, wages and are these family sustaining jobs Are these good jobs? Are these going to lead to prosperity? And, you know, I think that the solar industry, while there are a number of different occupations within the solar industry and many of the jobs are entry level and, and, and relatively low paying, the majority of these jobs do pay better than the national average. Um, and another point I want to make about these jobs is that there's a fairly low education barrier to entry. And so they are more or less accessible to people from all walks of life, which, which I think is really key uh, yeah. when, we're, when we're talking about needing everyone's participation, brain power and muscles, um, the fact that we really can't afford to have anyone sitting on the sidelines, and the fact that we really want to make sure that our industry is diverse and inclusive and, ex- and these jobs are accessible to women, people of color, veterans, and, and other diverse or marginalized groups. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, one of the really interesting th- things that you guys have begun to do at the Solar Foundation and, you know, SIA and partnerships launched a really interesting diversity campaign. You know, we, if you look across the industry, your job, your, the, the, the census points out that, you know, obviously this is a pretty white male industry. You see it when you go to Solar Power International uh, on a regular basis. You know, so the workforce is 73% white uh, in women, and it's heavily male but it is beginning to change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we at Clean Capital are very proud that we are almost 50-50 in terms of a male and female in our workforce. We're not as diverse as we need to be. You know, what do companies like ours do, you know, what advice do you have for companies like ours to start to try to drive diversity within our workforces? Yeah, well, that's awesome that you guys are gender parity at, at your firm. I think that's terrific. Yeah, from a gender perspective, the solar industry is is absolutely in no way representative of the overall population. Um, as you said, women make up only 26% of the solar workforce compared to 47% of the overall U.S. economy. But, you know, this is not a problem that's inherent with the solar industry. This is not unique to the solar industry. You know, I, I love this stat. Uh, there are more men named John, John. <laughs> <laughs> leading major U.S. corporations than there are women leading major U.S. corporations. Really? And, um, yeah. So, I mean, this is just... Damn those Johns. Yeah, those Johns, you know. <laughs> but this is just, you know, it's not just the solar industry. It's great that the solar industry recognizes right. that it has a problem and wants to change. But it's, it's everywhere. It's other industries, IT, healthcare, tech, um, utilities. But, you know, if the solar industry is going to be an economic leader in the 21st century, which I sure hope it is, we therefore have a responsibility to lead, I think, on diversity and inclusion. It will help us to troubleshoot, have better ideas. It will help us com- to compete. And, and I think importantly, it will help us widen the candidate pool. Um, companies are finding it difficult to, to fill positions. McCarthy has 600 positions it's trying to fill. If we can widen the candidate pool and make sure that we are really casting a wide net, you know, we that's great because, you know, the industry is seeking to double, triple, quadruple in size over the coming years. And so right. there, there are so many reasons why this is important. Just the other day, we released uh, a report and a best practices 
guide for companies with some tips and tricks as to what companies can do to be uh, increasing their number of women and people of color and veterans on staff. And of course, all of that is also at our website, thesolarfoundation.org. But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of dire. The news is not great. Women make 74 cents on the dollar compared to men. And there's a there's a wage gap and a leadership gap. Men hold 80% of leadership positions and 88% of leaders in the solar industry are white, as you, as you, as you suggested. But, you know, industry is making it a huge priority. Abby Hopper from SIA and CEOs of other major solar companies are making it a priority. They're making public statements, public commitments. Yeah, clean capital is yeah, and that's really the first step. And, you know, the, the, I think showing leadership at the CEO level is the first step. Leaders should be vocal about diversity. They should set measurable goals. They should make staff accountable for meeting these goals. And then they should really evaluate their hiring and recruitment policies and, and sort of procedures. They should right. really look at that process through a, a diversity and inclusion lens. They should review position descriptions and, and, and scrub out any potentially biased language and utilize a blind resume review process. They should you know, radically extend outreach to diverse populations, um, go into partnership with their local um, HBCU, their historically black college or university. They should, you know, reach out to women's groups, to the NAACP, et cetera, and set goals and, and have a really diverse recruitment team. And oh, there's so many different strategies. So, you, so the best practices guide has um, all of yeah, that. Yeah, it can be overwhelming. So having yeah, a best practice. And a check, we have a checklist, um, which I think yeah. is helpful because you can just sort of go down the checklist and see where you're weak. And, and so, so I think it is really, really critical. Um, as I mentioned, it's going to help us be more competitive and solve some of these very pressing issues that we have to solve in a very limited time, and it will help us cast a wider net and, and, and get more qualified candidates into the pool. And so SIA has issued a diversity challenge, which you said you signed on to, and I think yeah. uh, over 100 companies have signed on. We do have companies signed on, so I'd love to put a plug in for folks um, signing on to the diversity challenge. SIA has, we have links on our website, so the solarfoundation.org forward slash diversity. And then I, I know that SIA also has all of that on their website. I don't know what the, oh, I'm not sure what we'll, the we'll website is. some of that in, in, our, in our social media for sure for folks. But yeah, you can find that at, social, at solarfoundation.org for sure. Excellent. So listen, I know we're, we're sort of getting tight on time. I, but this is really interesting. And I feel like there's so many people in the industry that, that want to act and don't always know how and having things like a best practice guide is incredible helpful because it's, you know, it's many of us have, uh, especially a place like the capital, we're not a big enough company where we have an HR team, right? So it's something that we have to look at it every time we're, think, we're thinking about making a hire, uh, going back and really thinking through how to incorporate diversity into that hire. Andrea, I appreciate, you know, the, the work you guys are doing. I want to sort of step back out of solar for a second and put yourself back in a small town, Wisconsin. And, you know, you're, you are getting ready to graduate from, from high school or even later when you're graduating from college. And if you could give yourself uh, one piece of advice, what would you say? <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't have a very traditional career path, which is, I, I think, what makes me somewhat unique. I, I spent 
seven years abroad. I traveled the world. I saw everything. I was I was very deep in the international development sector for, for many years, long before I got into solar. And, you know, I don't have any regrets. I have absolutely no regrets about my path. Uh, I think it was pretty awesome and fun. But given that we are in a different era today, and the international panel on climate change gives us now just over 11 years to make immense transformations happen. Given that we have a timeline, you know, had I known we were facing such a crisis, I think I might have traveled a little less. <laughs> and I think I would have tried to get to where I am today, 10, 10 to 15 years sooner. Um, I just would have been a lot more aggressive in, 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 in developing my career. You know, I, I would also, you know, have studied, I think, the mega trends. I think, you know, automation is really, really happening. And yeah. as is an increased need for grid modernization and cybersecurity, I would have gotten in on that uh, 15 years ago. And, and I, I would study what's happening with the workforce. Now what we're seeing is this trend toward the shared economy and, and a trend toward having more contractors and freelance workers. And, and, and just the, the landscape is just becoming so much more dynamic and distributed. And I think had I known that, I would have maybe, I don't know, maybe we would not be in this position. Sure. Well, listen, I appreciate all the work you're doing. We appreciate what the Solar Foundation is doing, and I appreciate you joining us here at Experts Only Podcast. Well, you are so very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And again, for our listeners, you can go to the solarfoundation.org and get both the job census uh, as well as a lot of great information about best practices regarding diversity. For future episodes, please go to cleancapital.com. Uh, as always, we look forward to your insights on folks we should be interviewing. And I'd like to thank our our producers, Carly Batten and Darnell Lubin, who was an intern helping in our, his final episode. As always, we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you. 